All right. Hey. All right, let's do this. Make us proud. Man, that was a lot of stuff to and talk like, about, man. Tito knows our motto, our, church, our campus motto. What you is that? You guys know it? Don't embarrass us. <laughs> hey, we love Tito. Tito's doing an amazing job with students, man. Thank you so much, buddy. You're good, man. Thanks for putting me on the spot there, man. I love it. Hey, my name is Tito. I'm the associate pastor here, and I'm super, super pumped to even be a part of this family. I come here every Sunday, and I'm really, really encouraged. A few weeks ago, I had a little bit of a kind of a spell up here. I, was, I have not been feeling well, and, and I have been taking things to make, uh, uh, make sure that I'm taking care of myself and whatnot. But I want to say thank you to everybody that reached out to me, that checked on me, that was praying for me, that still is looking out for me. And to tell you that everything is going good. There's been so many cool things happening in my family. My son was married two weeks ago. I have a new daughter-in-law, and I'm super pumped. My older daughter, she had my grandson three days ago. So I've got some cool things going on like that. And my home is full of love and family right now. So I'm telling you, things are really going good. I'm super, super excited about what God is doing, not just in my home, but what God is doing here too. So I'm just going to jump in. I'm not going to talk too much, but um, this morning we're going to continue our series after the amen, where we're exploring what we do between the end of our prayers, the amen, and God's response, his answer. And last week we talked about taking the next right step. And we know that it's not about what we think is right or good or next, but what God thinks. See, it's all about pursuing Jesus and walking in his ways the best that we can daily. You see, we're on a journey. And on this journey, we should be striving to align our lives with his life. Because God is a perfect, powerful, all-loving, all-knowing father. And I'm here to tell you that we are all his children. And just like any children do, when we get started on this journey of following Jesus, we start asking him for what we want, right? I need this. I need that. Lord, bless me with this and bless me with that. We start asking for what we need. But see, at some point in our journey, if we continue to push and pursue him, you got to see our lives will begin to align more and more like his and his ways and his desires, and you start seeing that it'll be less and less of you and who you are and the ways that you've been living. You'll be mirroring who God is. And today we're going to dive into how God chooses to work, how he chooses to work. Because more often than not, God chooses to work in ways that are very, very different than I've expected. Maybe you guys might have experienced that. Let me ask, how many of you guys use a GPS on your phone for when you're driving, right? I love the map app. I love it. I love knowing that I can type in where I got to go, and it'll give me the fastest route with the least amount of traffic, and I can get there at a good time. One thing I love doing, though, is beating the time it gives me. Don't tell me you don't do that. Don't tell me you don't do that. I love it, and I don't speed. Believe me, I try not to speed. But, man, if it says I can get there in 15 minutes, I'm trying to get there in 14 and the best feature I love is the voice. Siri speaks to me. I love it. She tells me where to go, when to turn, what to do. Hey, 200 feet, turn right, right? There's no question. There's no wondering. There's no gray area. It's just go there and do it. I love it. And I think about it, and I go, you know what? I would love, love, love for my prayers to be more like my map app. 
where I type in my request and God tells me it's going to take five minutes or five days. Hey, turn here and make this decision. And boom, arrived at answered prayer. That sounds nice, right? It does not work like that. <laughs> it does not work like surprise. It doesn't work like that. Guys, first of all, when we pray, God tells us, you're no longer in a driver's seat. So you can go slide on over and sit shotgun because I'm driving. God also tells us that life is a journey, and it's a lifelong journey. Guys, you got to understand, this is not some five-minute walk around the block. This is an everyday thing that we work on, okay? See, it's like we're taking a Greyhound bus from here to New York, a long trip, and Jesus, he's our driver. So when we board, he's saying, come on in, get comfortable. You can leave the driving to me, and I promise you, I promise I will get you to where you got to go. But you got to understand, I'm in charge, and I'm driving. But maybe the bigger struggle is that sometimes we're not very good passengers, right? We just want to drive. Now, I know each and everybody in here knows somebody that is a backseat driver or knows how to tell you where to drive. You're driving too fast. You're driving too slow. Hey, you know what? I turn right here. And your whole time you're like, yo, chill. I'm driving. And I know some of you are thinking right now that I'm not a bad passenger. I'm just surrounded by terrible drivers, right? <laughs> That's what you're probably saying right now, right? But see, here's the truth, my man. God is the ultimate driver. He's our navigator, and he's leading us as we journey through our journey daily, every day. And that's the beauty of it. It's an everyday occurrence. It begins when you wake up and you take in your first breath and you open your eyes is when you renew that journey every day. So let me give you a few things to write down today. The first thing is this. You're not going to like it, but prayer is giving up control. You got to give up control. See, when we pray, we're praying to the one who knows the road. I mean, he designed the road. He understands it, and he understands the journey, and he has the perfect destination for us. But here's the hard part. Not just a perfect destination for us, but he has the perfect timing. And I struggle with that myself because quite often my timing seems to not be the same as his. So prayer is about me sliding over and letting Jesus take the wheel. Go ahead and cue the song. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but really, that's what it's about, letting him take the wheel. God may take us on roads that we really don't want to be on. We all know that. And there may be stops that we never anticipated. But see, God knows our destination, and he will get us there. He just may not answer our prayers the way that we want him to. And maybe you're thinking right now that you're the only one experiencing this, but you're not. It's true for all of us. And it's just not right here and right now. But if you look all throughout history, let's look all throughout the biblical narrative. It happens all the time throughout the stories in the Bible. And just so we don't think we're alone, 
I'm going to share a couple of these stories for us so that we can see how God moved in and through them, okay? Paul, who at one point would write most of the New Testament, but see, earlier in his life, he was persecuting Christians. In fact, he was on his way up north to Damascus to go wreak some more havoc, uh, havoc, to go mess up some more stuff, and guess what happened? Jesus had an encounter with him. Jesus stepped in and changed his life. He changed his name from Saul to Paul and gave Paul a new mission and told him, he says, you're going to be the one I'm going to use to go out into the world to share the gospel, the good news about me. And if you know anything about Paul, Paul's this learned man. He's the best of the best and all this. Guess what he did? He popped out of seat and he went and he jumped too fast. He started causing some waves. And guess what? They put him on the sidelines for 12 years. 12 years where God gave him this message of what he was supposed to do. But for 12 years, he was built, making tents and talking to Jesus with his neighbors. That was it. He sat for 12 years. In the Old Testament, there's this guy named Joseph. And I'm talking Joseph with the coat of many colors, not Jesus' earthly dad. Okay? When he was a teenager, he had a dream that all of his older brothers, that they were going to bow down to him. And just like any younger brother would do, he probably went to his older brother like, yo, guess what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are going to all bow down to me. And just like big brothers do, they said, come on, we're going to go on a trip. <laughs> they took him on a trip. They said, yeah, yeah, we're going to go hunting or whatever. And their whole intention was to kill him. Right. But I guess they found a little bit of grace in their heart. And it says, no, you know what? Instead, we're going to go ahead and sell him off to slavery. So for 18 years... After that dream that God gave Joseph, for 18 years, he sat as a slave and in prison. 18 years. And then a few years later, after 20 years have passed since the dream, guess what his brothers did? They showed up at his doorstep and bowed down to him, begging him for food. 20 years later. We read this account in the Bible, and it was for, we read it in five minutes. But in reality, it was 22 years. Now, can you imagine Joseph asking during that time? He had the dream, and he knows what God is doing. He's probably saying, God, how are you going to fulfill your promise? How are you going to do the thing that you said you were going to do? What if Joseph had given up on year 15, right? How many of us have been like, yo, I'm done with this. It's never going to happen. What if Paul had given up on year eight? Who would have written the 14 books of the New Testament that we have today if he had given up? God says, I hear your prayer. I've got a plan and journey for you, but I need you to slide over to the passenger side because I'm going to lead you to a place of holiness while I draw you closer to me at the same time. This is a journey together. How many of you guys like to walk on trails with somebody? I love to hike. You always hike with somebody, a friend. You're never alone. And that's what this journey is like. Somebody is there with you all the time. Let me give you one more, Mary. Mary probably dreamed of getting married from the time she was a young girl. And now she's pregnant and unmarried. I'm pretty sure she didn't plan on giving birth to the Savior of the world as well. And I'm pretty sure she wasn't planning on being a virgin when it happened. Imagine her prayers. 
God, this isn't what I prayed for. Is this the plan? This can't be the plan. But it's part of the journey. You see, the Bible is full of real-life stories, of real people, and God answering prayers in a way very, very different than the way they expected. And right now, if you, if you and I sat down for coffee, and I love sitting down for coffee with, with my friends, but if we were sitting down and having a cup of coffee, and you asked me, why should I trust God with my life? And that's a very tough question to handle. It's a legit question. I mean, it's valid. Why should I trust God with my life? I suppose I'd ask you to look at it like this. What if it's not all about just trusting in God's miracles? Or trusting that he will just do good things on our behalf? What if it's about trusting God and his character, period, bottom line, regardless period. See, I believe we can grow to a place where we can fully trust the character of God, which is loving, compassionate, gracious, kind, and merciful. I really believe that we can grow to a place like that, not just as individuals, but man, as a church family, all of us can strive to meet this. We can do this. But it's a huge step, and it's hard, and it's not easy. And that's why we say this journey is all about finding and following after Jesus. Because it doesn't happen overnight. We don't have this genie in the bottle God that we can come and rub on. It doesn't happen that way. It's a journey. This is a journey of learning how to trust. Learning. And at our Coffee Connect, you might follow up with another hard question like that. How can I trust God? Another one. We've all asked that. How can I trust God? And I'd say, well, you know what the truth is? Man, they've been asking that question throughout the ages. Matter of fact, the religious people in Jesus' day would come and ask him about all of that. See, Jesus was doing miracles and teaching in a way that no one had ever taught before or ever experienced or seen before. And he was saying some things that were disconcerting and troubling for many of them. Like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was saying, I am the Savior. He was claiming to forgive sins. He said he was the Messiah. Now, for those of you that might not understand who the Messiah is, you got to understand, the Messiah, at this point in the story, all of the Jewish people would have been eagerly anticipating his arrival. The Messiah is this promised deliverer that they would have known about from kids growing up. And at the time, the Roman Empire was ruling over them with an iron fist. And so this Messiah was going to come and save them from the Romans. Jesus was claiming to be that guy. And to claim all these things, people were saying, that's blasphemy. You're saying you're claiming to be God. And that's what he was doing. So the leader saw him and says, well, you know what? If that's what you say you are and who you are, well, prove it. You can't keep saying these things about yourself without a miracle. And you know what, to be fair? Probably all of us, if we were to go home after church and we were to get a knock on our door and somebody was to say, hey, I just want to introduce myself to you. I'm new in town. Hey, I am the promised savior of the world. How are you doing? Right? What would you guys do after locking the door to make sure they couldn't come in? 
right? You probably would say, oh, yeah? Well, prove it to me. We all would want to see the evidence, right? What was that move? Jerry Maguire, show me the money. I want to see it. We probably would ask the same question. But look how Jesus responds. He says, only an evil, this is in Matthew 12, 39 and 40. He says, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Man, Jesus is going way back. He went Old Testament on them, on an account where this guy Jonah was called by God to do a specific task in a specific place. And at that time, he decided, nope, not me. You want me to go there? I'm going that way. He went the opposite direction of where God called him to go. If you haven't read the story, you got to read it. It's an incredible account of God's heart to redeem and to restore. But see, here's what Jesus is saying right here. He's saying, I'm going to give you the miracle that you want. I'm going to bring the proof, but it's not going to happen today. One day, not too far from now, I'm going to die on a cross and be buried. And then after three days, I will rise again to bring life to all who believe in me. He says, I will be back, and I will answer your prayers. It's a promise. I will be back. But here's the thing. I'll be back to answer your prayers, but they may not be the way that you thought. It might not be like that. So write this down for number two. God answers, God's answers often look different than my expectations. God's answers often look different than my expectations. See, God doesn't answer our prayers like my map app. I wish he did, but he doesn't. Sending me the turns in advance and showing me the obstacles ahead. No, it doesn't happen that way. Instead, he invites me into this journey with him. Turn by turn, moment by moment. He's driving. How many of you guys are the main drivers in your home, right? It's a tough role to play, especially if you're driving somewhere nice and you see the scenery and everything else, you know, the hills, and like driving up to Pinecrest and all that area. I love it, but I'm always like this, not trying to drive off a cliff. <laughs> to know that I can be a passenger, to view and witness all those be beautiful things and not worry about the driver's seat. I mean, come on, tell me that doesn't just sound good in itself, right? But what if we can live that in life? I know it's hard and it's a stretch to think about, but think about it. While we're on this journey with God driving, that we can sit shotgun at peace, eating our Takis and drinking our Sprite soda. I don't know. Just whatever you want to eat. Am I the only one that eats Takis? Oh, I told him myself. No, really. But just not to worry about anything. But check this out. Even Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had to wrestle through how God answers prayers. And if you don't know who John the Baptist is, let me kind of give you some context to this, okay? See, John the Baptist was literally Jesus' cousin, his earthly cousin, literally. And his whole life is going to be about 
pointing people to God and preparing the way for the coming Messiah. That was his role. And he tells people to repent, which means to turn away from all the evil things that you've been doing. He wants you to repent and turn to God so that our hearts can be prepared to come before him. And one day Jesus shows up. And see, Jesus is the culmination of everything John the Baptist had been saying all of his life. In fact, Jesus asked John to baptize him. And it's right there where John struggles with God's ways and his methods and his plans. Look what he says in Matthew 3, 13 through 15. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Imagine being in that moment. I mean, this would have been the pinnacle, the very top of what John had been talking about his whole life. Everything that he's been teaching, everything that he's been speaking about, everything that he's been praying for is happening right now in this moment. His hope realized. It's that aha moment for him. He notices it and he sees it. And his life now, after seeing it, was all about putting the spotlight on Jesus in fact, he knew that it may become, must become less of him and more about Jesus. Less of us and more about Jesus. What an example, right? Less of us and more about Jesus. I mean, I think it's written for a reason. This is the example right here in which we need to, to be living. So time goes on with John, and he keeps teaching about Jesus and he keeps saying that Jesus is the new king, and this new king is going to be marked by things like sacrificial love, hope, peace, and new life, and freedom. He was saying this kingdom was going to operate in a way that was upside down from the rest of the world, where leaders would humble themselves and serve. See, this was shocking. That just didn't happen. But not long after that, John had a crisis of faith. You see, God wasn't answering the prayers that John was hoping that they would be answered. You see, the current Jewish king at the time was a guy named Herod. And this talk about a new king and a new kingdom, yo, it was starting to get under his skin, and he was starting to get upset, and he did not like it at all. I mean, what king wants to hear about a new king coming to town? And that, in fact, a better king. Not at all. But yet, John keeps hammering down about this new king. And then to top it off, John starts calling out King Herod's evil ways and starts calling it out enough to saying, well, this new king, king is totally opposite of what this other king does. And that right there was the final blow. So by now, King Herod is angry and frustrated and he's had enough of it. And so now he has John Baptist thrown into prison. So John's out there telling everybody about this new king. He's doing his, his duty. He's, he's proclaiming the Messiah's here. He's doing everything. And as a reward, he gets thrown into prison. Now, can you put yourself into John's shoes or sandals or whatever he was wearing? I mean, for a moment, I mean, think about it. He's probably praying, hey, God, hey, this is not the way it's supposed to happen. 
I mean, I'm preparing the way for the new king, our promised deliverer, for Jesus. But I'm sitting here in prison. This isn't what I prayed for. What's going on? It's not supposed to happen like this. Look at John's questioning in verse Matthew 11, verses 2 and 3. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard all about the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, check this out, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we be looking for someone else? This was the guy that was proclaiming the Messiah was here, and now his faith is shaken, and now he's asking this question. But check this out. I think this is as if John was saying to Jesus, he's saying, look, I've said all this stuff about you, and it is. I've said it's all about your kingdom, and it is. But I didn't think it was going to be like this. I thought after I baptized you, it would be like, yo, it's all good. What is going on? But instead, I'm sitting here rotting in prison. What is going on, Jesus? And maybe John would be asking Jesus, are you really good? And if you're really good, are you really powerful too? Because if you're really good and you're really powerful, then you probably should really be hearing my prayers and answering them so I can get the heck out of jail. I mean, I would imagine that that would be the human thought as far as what he's doing. But instead, here I am. How many of you have ever been there wondering? Have you ever wrestled with that tension about what's going on? What are you doing, God? I think most of us could probably say, yeah, we've wrestled through that. But the question is, where do we go from here? And I believe Jesus has something to teach us, so write this down. Number three is this. I can trust God's ways even if I don't understand how he's working. See, here's Jesus' answer back to John. And I really, really think Jesus spoke this with tenderness and compassion and love because I, I really believe that Jesus saw John and that he was really going through it. He was having a bad, bad time. And he says this. He says, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added this, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Now, why would Jesus add that line at the end? God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Well, see, Jesus was actually quoting from two sections in the book of Isaiah, okay? Chapter 35 and chapter 61. Now, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words some 700 plus years before this is happening. That's what makes this so, so special and important, okay? So this is coming out of 35 and 61, and the prophet Isaiah says that the Savior, the Messiah, is going to do all of those things, and it's actually happening, But there's one little part from Isaiah 61 that's left out. And Isaiah writes this. He says that the Messiah will also bring freedom to the prisoners and set the captives free. But Jesus leaves that part out. See, John would have known these words from Isaiah from the time he was a little kid. They would have studied these scrolls. See, he lived and breathed what the Messiah, Jesus himself, would bring. 
I think it might have been Jesus giving John a nod, sort of a verbal cue, so to say, saying, John, that's not how I'm going to answer this prayer. So he says to him this, John, if you're blessed, I'm sorry, he says, John, you're blessed if you don't put your faith in miracles, if you don't put your faith in healing. He says, you are blessed if you put your faith in me alone. That is how you're blessed. So the question is, can we surrender to God's ways and methods? It's a hard thing to do. Can we trust what he's doing because we can see him at work all around us, even if we don't see how it's working out for us right now? It reminds me of Pastor Jeremy, how he's talking about his walk and the things he has to get done and all of this stuff. And he ended up with a walk where he was looking out and seeing what's around him, the beauty of nature and creation and life and how that pace of life can be with us and how we can continue growing in that. Jesus is working all around us. We just have to pay attention. I think Jesus would have said to John, I know this is hard because I know it seems like what's going on? You received the sentence you didn't want and you didn't deserve, but I want you to look up and look around. Yo, people are being healed. The blind can see. The lepers are restored. The deaf hear. And the good news is being preached and it's going out. Just because you don't feel like I'm working in your life right now doesn't mean that I'm not working. And it doesn't mean that I'm not working on your behalf. John, this might not end the way you want, but it will ultimately end in the final count in God's glory. It's going to end in the final count. And you know what? If you read the account of John the Baptist, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy family drama. I mean, it was nuts. And ultimately, as a result of this, John was executed not long after this happened. And yet, John stayed faithful and he trusted. He stood the course. See, this journey may not be like what we expected. In fact, I can guarantee that it's not going to be like what we expected. Only because I know God is bringing about his will and his way in this world and in you and in me to draw us closer and to do a deep work in us. See, he desires to make us holy. He desires to, to create us into this being that he wants us to be, that he has a plan and purpose for us. He desires to make us holy. You have to know that God sees you and he hears you and he loves you even when you don't understand how he's working. Part of deepening our faith is choosing to trust in God's character. Remember, he's loving, compassionate, gracious, kind, and merciful. That is who God is. We're not to put our hope in God answering our prayers exactly how we want them to be answered, but to put our trust in the fact that God is good and loving and strong, and he will answer our prayers. But you got to know, sometimes his how and our how are often different. And they're not the same. So as we wrap up, I have a question, or rather a challenge for you. What do you need to release to God today? And say, you know what, God, it's your way, not mine. I want to slide over to into the passenger seat. Please, God, can you drive? 
I'm tired of doing it myself. I want to sit back and I want to enjoy what's around me. That's a surrendering point right there. Are you willing to let it go and to become an apprentice, a student to learn from him and to discover what he desires to build in and through you and your home and your community? Are you willing to let it go? Rather than answering how I want it, maybe God is wanting to teach me humility or selfless love or forgiveness or patience. And we know that we need more of that in this world. What if that's what he's wanting to teach me? Maybe he wants to teach me how good he really is in the midst of uncertainty and to depend on him like I've never depended on him before. An absolute declaration of dependence every day. What if that's what he wants from me? What if that's what he wants from you? And I know this is hard. And I know sometimes I still want to do things my way. And I'm sure some of you are the same as that. But I'm learning to trust him in a journey. And I know that as a church family, we get to do this together. We're not alone in this. I'm going to leave you with one last verse, Romans 8, 28. And he says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I got chills, man. That's real. That's tangible. You can, you can take that to the bank, so to say. And that's what he desires for us through each and every experience that we go through, the good and the not so good. Nothing is a waste. So what is God asking you to let go today and let him take the will? You pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this, this moment right now to be with my family, my church family, God. Lord, I pray that as your word penetrates our hearts right now and it's seeping in, God, that you reveal what it is to us, God, that we need to let go to where we're trying to control it, to where we're trying to do this our way, God. But, you know, it's not working. We're hitting our head against the same wall over and over, and we're dragging people along with us maybe even. Lord, speak to us. Reveal yourself to us in a way that is real. Help us, God. Because, Lord, we know that it's all your way, and we know that you will answer our prayers according to your will in a way that's best for us, Lord. But sometimes that's hard to understand. So, Lord, bring us peace and comfort. Lord, and friends and family that I can help us journey along together as you're leading us. And I pray a blessing, Lord, over everybody in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, family, for being here with us this weekend. You got something to say, man? Amen. Thank yeah. you, Pastor Tito. All right on. Hey, give it up, Pastor Tito. Thank you so much.